It's time for America's six favorite Georgia Bulldogs football podcast. That's right. It's the Dogs on Top, Even on Bottom podcast. Without further ado, here's Matt and Kyler with another week of reflection on Georgia Bulldogs football and poor life decisions. Yes, podcast listeners, welcome back. It is another week of the Dogs on Top, Even on Bottom podcast. As always, joined in the other seat by the man, the myth, the legend, Kyler Carr. Kyler, you know, the Dogs game wasn't necessarily the most exciting game, but quite an exciting weekend of college football week two. Uh, It's been heating up. I felt like it was better than week one. Maybe that was just me uh, having the time to actually watch some games. But uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, great week of college football. Obviously, dogs went in, took care of business. Um, You know, not much to see really there. But, um, you know, across the you know, country. There were there were fantastic football games, uh, you know, especially that that Alabama Texas game. I know that we'll probably get into that a little bit uh, in the show, but um, yeah, it feels good that you know we're finally having some some quality teams playing one one another, starting to figure out you know what some of these teams are all about. There's still a lot to figure out with with a bunch of squads, but um, you know it, it was a, a you know definitely more exciting than week one in my opinion. But yeah, ready to, to get these games rolling, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just great to have college football back, but a lot of really interesting out-of-conference matchups. And, you know, we're going to talk about all of them as we move through the episode. You know, I think about a game like Washington State-Wisconsin. Also had a few interesting Pac-12 and Big 12 matchups. Uh, Texas Tech took Oregon to the absolute wire. Um, You also have Baylor- um, who played a really, really tough game as well, but wasn't able to pull it out against Utah. Utah scored two touchdowns in the last two minutes of that game to really come from behind and win 20-13. to 13. But just a, a wild weekend of, of football, honestly. And I know you enjoyed a little time in, in Tennessee, isn't that right? Yeah, down down in enemy territory over there, kind of scouting out what's going on in Knoxville uh, for our game. Uh, later this year but yeah had a little wedding uh out right outside of knoxville had a big time lots of good music dancing and good times but um you know in the background we, we had that uh had that texas alabama game going so um it wasn't just a footballist wedding uh, we definitely sat in front of some tvs caught called uh some of that game and gosh i mean it, it definitely makes you want to go uh you know have an even better time after seeing the tide uh fall the way that they did. Yeah, it has been a long time since we've seen the Crimson Tide fall like that. Um, and, and Kyler, I mean, if you're going to do a wedding in the fall, the bottom line is it, it can't be football list. Like you're, you're especially a wedding in the fall, if you're SEC related, you just, I mean, it's kind of cruel to do a wedding in the fall. But, you know, if you're going to do it, it's got to it's got to have football as as a part of it you know they're it's just you know that's them them the rules um but yeah well let's talk about the dogs kyler a 45 to 3 victory over 
Ball State, not much of, of a game. We talked about it last week. We were supposed to be playing in Norman, Oklahoma up until about, I, I think it might have been June of this year, maybe a little bit earlier when the final schedule came out, probably earlier, probably more like March when the final schedule came out. And, um, you know, we're told, nope, cancel that game. And uh, Ball State was who we, we got and took care of business. But um, yeah, I mean, what what are your thoughts? I mean, I know you had some good thoughts, some bad thoughts, um, but like give them to me. Yeah, I mean, first off, I mean, I heard someone say this the other day that uh, these kind of games like this kind of mimic what you see from a from a spring game, from a G-Day game. And so um, just not a lot of uh, opening it up offensively. And so you know, you're not going to really see us try to air it out too much and do anything crazy offensively, kind of show our hand um, before SEC play. But, you know, some of the things I saw that I really liked in that game, I thought we pass protected very well again this week. Uh, we're able to keep keep Carson back upright. Um, in the sec- I thought the secondary played really well. I really like what Tyreek Hill's doing there. Um, good to have him back healthy. Malachi Starks, uh, you know, looked good in coverage, had the, had a good interception there. David Daniel had to come in for uh, for Javon Bullard. I thought that he played you know, really physically out there. Jalen Everett, you know, also defending some nice passes out there on the perimeter. So, you know, really, really liked what I see out of this. What I saw out of the secondary shows that we do have some depth as well there. We were rotating in guys like Julio Humphrey and Nyland Green. So a lot of guys got a lot of playing time. Got to see uh, Dan Jackson out there, uh, you know, flying around, making some plays. I know he made a few um, last week, but looking like he's going to have a, have a role again this year on this defense. So, you know, that's our secondary is uh, something special this year. And I can't wait to, to see us go against you know, some better offensive opponents just to see, you know, how much they've progressed and, and, I really do feel like they're going to be, you know, one of one of the key pieces of our defense this year. Um, they they really stood out to me. Um, I feel like our uh, D lineman uh, did a better job of maintaining you know, gap integrity, stopping the run this week. So that's one thing that I was looking for last week to to improve upon. So I, I was pleased with that. I really want to highlight Kristen Miller um, on that defense. I you know I saw one play earlier in the game where. Yeah, I was like, man, that was not a good play. But I feel like he, he's he's got a great get off. Um, he's just you know really instinctive player, and yeah, you know, felt like he was sort of living in the backfield uh, on Saturday. So it's good to see some of these young guys and and you know the development of this program and, and what that does for these players. And you know, I feel like he, he's going to get a shot this year. Um, he's not one of the savvy veterans. I think this might be his uh, second or third year on campus, but he's finally getting his shot. Yeah, the proof's in the pudding there. You come to Georgia, you're going to get developed into you know a good defensive lineman. We've seen it happen over and over again. Really, really like what I saw out of uh, Dylan Bell. Uh, I think I think a lot of people saw him kind of pop off um, on that run where he juked a couple guys out. He's got a different different burst to him than than the other guys that we have out there right now. So I definitely yeah hope to see more of him while we have you know Dajan Edwards nursing an injury. He's just got. He's got that, that that extra gear that you don't see from Roderick Robinson or, or from Kendall Milton. So that that was great to see. Did like what Cash Jones did. Caught, caught a nice touchdown out of the backfield. Um, I know he, can, he contributes for us in a lot of ways on special teams, but it was good to see him you know, get some recognition and, and, and some big time uh, make a big-time play um, there in the passing game. And then Makai Muse, uh, 
that guy continues to be a bright spot. I love seeing a 5'7 walk-on out there just juking people out of their shoes. Um, I think I might have said it last week, but you know, I haven't seen that kind of wiggle uh, since Isaiah McKenzie. I know McCole Hartman was the last person to, to take one back to the house. So yeah, I mean, it's been a little bit of time since we've had that, that threat in the return game. So uh, it was good to see him um, house that punt and you know, making some plays on offense as well. He's going to be just an you know, outstanding contributor for us this year. So it was great to see that. But yeah, was there anything in particular, you know, that you saw that, that you were like, man, I, that, 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 that stands out to me. That looked really good. Yeah, Kyler. I mean, there are a few things. Uh, obviously, the last one you hit on, Mekhi Muse, I think it, it wasn't just his touchdown return, but it was also, I mean, you look at his numbers, he returned a kick 47 yards. I believe that was the opening kick. And then also, I mean, he had three occasions to return punts. And the one that he scored that he housed was a 69-yard uh, touchdown. But on top of that, I mean, he had another 42 yards on those other two returns. So I think he's going to be a dangerous person every time he touches the ball. I think he might be a guy that, you know, we might see in offensively, hopefully in a lot of different creative um, ways, because I think there's a lot of different ways that we can exploit him when used right. I think that defense played sound. Tyke Smith, uh, I felt like had a good game and he's a guy who just continues to I feel like grow in his role in Georgia. I think we we've talked about that. We expected a little bit more from him. And, you know, now he's finally gotten to that point. Injury kind of held him back. But, you know, now he's, I think, back in that place um, where we thought he would be. And I, I personally think that, you know, he continues down this path and plays as well. I mean, he could be an All-American himself this year. The thing that's kind of interesting, and we talked about it a little bit, uh, it was Brock Bowers, you know, one catch, three yards. Uh, not what you expect from a guy who's been considered a once in a generational talent. But I also think, you know, you're trying to get other people the ball. Um, and I think early in the season, it's a spring game to your point. So it's hard to know if that was, you know, something that maybe that was intentional. You know, they missed him on a couple times, but they weren't trying to get him too much. Or um, if there's, issue, you know, or an idea of concern there. I know you have a lot more concern. And so I'd like to kick it to you and hear, you know, what you feel didn't go right for Georgia uh, against Ball State. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of nitpicky, you know, in a game like this to, to, to point out, you know, some of the bad things. But I think it is important to highlight these things as, you know, things to watch out for in the future or in the next game to see if, you know, we, we improve upon um, any of these things, but obviously the, the the big one that stands out to me is Javon Buller going down with an ankle injury. Heard Kirby say today that he really wasn't able to go. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not expecting to see him back against South Carolina. But I know David Daniel. He's he's up for the task. He's played a lot of football, so I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, this is only going to develop depth for us, you know, down the road. So, you know, I hope he, he gets well soon because we're going to need him, you know, when we play those teams like Tennessee and, and you know, some of the more challenging opponents down the road. And then the offensive line, haven't been pleased with, with kind of the, you know, the push that they've gotten in the run game. I, I feel like our offensive line is just as talented as it was last year. So, you know, not really sure what, what's going on there. I mean, I do know that, uh, you know, first and second down, they're bringing up both safeties to – 
kind of stack the box as soon as the ball is snapped. So it's a lot of safeties making plays there um, and, and tackling our guys. So, But I, I still think that, you know, there's more that our offensive line can do. I mean, we've got a ton of five stars and just great players um, down there in the trenches. So looking to see more from them. I know that they'll get it together, though. And then also, you know, blocking out on the perimeter, that, that's something that kind of worries me. But you know, from listening to, to, to Kirby talk yesterday, um, he believes that we're a really good perimeter blocking team. Um, you know, didn't see that on Saturday. So, you know, hopefully we're, we're able to um, step that up because that's what really springs a lot of these explosive plays in the screen game. So um, also in the run game as well. So I really want to see some improvement. You know, saw some some poor efforts from, from guys like Arian Smith, but yeah, I know we've got some some ballers over there. I mean, I want to see Ra Ra Thomas out there blocking his tail off. I mean, the guy's kind of a beast physically, so he he should be dominating out there on the perimeter. Whenever that day comes, that Lab McConkey comes back, I know that he's gonna be Mr. Johnny Hustle and and be blocking well. And then, uh, yeah, I was a little worried about you know Brock Bowers' lack of involvement in the offense. That's probably by design. I think he might have gotten one three yard reception, one of those little plays out into the flats, but we know what Brock Bowers can do. Um, so it might just been a matter of just holding him back. Really would have also liked to have seen us take a few more deep shots. When when they're bringing those safeties into the box like that, um, first and second down, we've got to take advantage of having guys like Ari and Smith on our team and, and, and take the top off of these defenses and, and do a little bit of Tyree kill action on these teams. So, um, And then – you know, I want to see us do a better job of, of disrupting the quarterback. And I thought that we did not do a terrific job of that. We've got some players that, you know, Michael Williams, you know, I, I want to see more from him. I mean, this is supposed to be his breakout year. He had a sack last game, but this game um, yeah, didn't really do too much in the stat line. Uh, we've got some def- yeah, defensive ends or, or outside linebackers like Darius Smith. I saw him make a play. Another younger guy, C.J. Madden, they made plays. But I want to see something out of, you know, Chaz Chambliss. I want to see Marvin Jones out there making plays, Jalen Walker, um, but didn't see it on Saturday. So those are some of the things that, that I noticed, but um, that I'll be keeping an eye on against South Carolina in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think you talk about being nitpicky, but – the bottom line is, as we've seen in the past, I mean, you, in order to win a national championship, you do need to nitpick these things. You do need to clean these things up to, you know, because the better teams will exploit them or, you know, your lack of explosion, your lack of the ability to exploit weaknesses, you know, will lead to your demise because you play a team like an Ohio State who's explosive and, you know, our ability to come back in that game was our ability to, you know, get vertical and really kind of, you know, make bang, bang plays to claw back into that game. And if you're down 16 points with a quarter left, the bottom line is you need to be able to make explosives. And so I agree that I think that some of this stuff is is concerning, but it did have me thinking, Kyler, which is I, I think in the past we've had similar situations and this team seems more equipped than I feel like some of the from years. Uh, honestly, it does feel a little bit more like early on in, you know, either of our two national championships, things weren't just, I mean, I think last year we started really strong last year's team. Yes. Maybe it's not fair to compare them to that team as much as it is our first national championship. And I think that, you know, we had some strong showings, but also, um, 
it didn't feel like we were just like blowing teams away early on. Um, maybe I'm misremembering. I mean, what what is so much different about this season? Because I do feel like people seem to have concerns and worries in a way that the last few years um, maybe didn't feel as much. And correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think last year that we went Oregon and South Carolina back to back, which were games that we were shot out of a cannon and just absolutely destroyed both of those teams. And so it feels like, uh, you know, with, with us opening the way that we did last year and, and starting this way with two opponents that are not power five, um, you know, one of them is FCS really, you know, makes you concerned, right? Um, that we're not starting off um, as hot as we did last year, right? I mean, an Oregon game, I mean, I've, I've never seen such a dominant performance, really, uh, at the very beginning of a season. Um, South Carolina was the same way, right? And so um, I, I do think that, you know, and that part of it's because, you know, we're, we're replacing a lot of guys, both on offense and defense, you know, start with, you know, the offensive side of the ball. Um, Stetson Bennett, you know, got to play a lot of football prior to the Oregon game. Um, led us to a national championship, played in a lot, a lot of quality football games, destroyed Michigan. So he had, he has a comfortability with, uh, you know, his team. I don't think that Carson Beck, you know, really has yet. Not to say that it cannot be developed, but, um, you know, that, that's a super important factor right there. Um, and then, you know, even more so than that, you know, I, I think we're really missing in the perimeter blocking game. And I consider, you know, uh, Darnell Washington part of that as well. Darnell is heard um, heard Kirby say this today. It was a generational player, right? I, I don't think that you know we're, you're going to see a better uh, perimeter blocker, and a guy can also go in line. But you know he made a difference in, in the run game and the screen game, and, and helping us spring a lot of these explosives. Um, and so, you know, replacing you know that is, is very very difficult to do. I know everybody wants to ooh and ah and talk about Brock Bowers, but I just I hate how it gets lost that, that you know, the, the importance of, of what Darnell Washington was to this team, a guy that, that could have been one of the great receivers out there, you know, as a tight end, but really committed to his team and his role in, in blocking and did it better than any tight end I've ever seen do it. And so um, replacing that kind of, uh, you know, player is going to be really difficult. But, you know, hopefully – you know, Brock is able to step up to the task and be a great blocker. He, I mean, he's a he's a great blocker already, and he he did so he made a lot of great blocks last year. But um, I mean, he's no he's not a freak like uh, like Darnell Washington is down there. So um, you know, looking for us to to improve in that area. And then um, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, what, what's obviously different is replacing mainly Jalen Carter, but also Nolan Smith. I know that. Chaz uh, Chambliss took over for Nolan um, after his injury and everything. But, I mean, I don't know if you watched uh, week one in the NFL, Jalen Carter is a problem in the NFL too. Um, and so just, you know, disrupting the passer, that, that was so important to us, you know, beating a team like Alabama in the national championship, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, we also had Jordan Davis on that squad as well, Devontae Wyatt. I mean, it was it – was, you know, kind of a noticeable difference in, in the level of talent on, on those teams than there than it is for this year. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, that with our senior leadership, we'll be able to, you know, have some guys that can create that havoc and, and disrupt the quarterback because that's going to be important really against Tennessee if we, you know, play one of the teams that makes the playoffs. 
potentially an Alabama team there in the SEC championship, we've got to yeah, be able to um, disrupt the, the passer because um, that's that's how you stop those teams with those elite quarterbacks. And so um, yeah, that's what feels different to me um, is, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, replacing you know the, the number one quarterback and then also um, – in the run game, having a guy like uh, Darnell Washington and what he was able to do, um, I feel like that that really gets overlooked. Yeah, Tyler. I mean, I think that, you know, as you said, Stetson Bennett, you know, he's a guy who had a season under his belt before he was able to, you know, lead us to a national championship. And that's also really important. And Beck doesn't have quite that runway, if you will, to, to get off the ground. I do think the talent around him was more is we're a better team than we were back in 2020. So and and I think there's natural talent that Beck has that Stetson doesn't. But that's you know we just don't know about like what uh, he has as far as you know mental toughness goes, and we'll find that out as we as we move along. Um, I think that you know you talk about all the NFL talent up there. Absolutely. And while I think we're going to have maybe upwards of ten guys drafted this year. Uh, we, it's not we aren't going to deplete quite like we have um, the last couple seasons. And maybe what that means is that next year, 2024, we're going to be even better because um, we're not going to have as many people, you know, that are that are jumping. But I mean, when you're replacing upwards of 40 guys who are incredible assets to your team in two national championships, I mean, you can't. You can't expect there to just not be some sort of drop off, and we're experiencing it on some level. But but I do think you know when you talk about the you know the run game, and you talk about a guy like Darnell Washington, you know we do have a guy like Oscar Delp. Uh, obviously, I don't think he's he's not the guy that um, you know that Darnell Washington is uh, to block, but. I also think, you know, maybe it's a certain level of we don't have the same backs that we we did for a while. Um, you look at it and not only do we have offensive linemen, defensive linemen and pretty much, you know, every position uh, that also includes running back. And you look at last night's game, we you know, we're recording this on Tuesday and James Cook in there, the starting running back for Buffalo. So. Um, I, I think that maybe there's there's something to be said about, you know, the talent that we had in the running back room and maybe we just quite aren't quite there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, too, of just kind of, you know, maybe what feels a little bit different this year, you know, um, in the running game specifically, you know, uh, we're, we're missing Dajan Edwards and Dajan Edwards has really made a name for himself, making the first guy miss. Um, and, and has that burst that we're looking for, um, similar to what we saw with, with Dylan Bell, but he's a short, thick guy, um, can break tackles, but but you know he can he can turn some of those uh, you know first down situations into very reasonable second and third down uh, distances. So I think that when we get him back, that's going to make a huge difference in, in uh, our ability to run the ball. Um, and then also you know having a guy like Lag McConkey, he's a guy that that's a, a savvy veteran that um, you know. For Carson Beck, you know, you know that this guy's going to run the right route every time. You don't have to worry about him, you know, cutting left when he should be cutting right. And, you know, you end up throwing an interception, right? So to just and that just makes you overall more comfortable. And I think that we saw um, Carson Beck get more comfortable this week, um, getting rep, yeah, Marcus Resume, Jack Saint back. I feel like he was more comfortable back there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that 
you know, that, that this team is, is ready to write its own narrative. Um, you know, it's just going to take a little bit of time for us to develop, get the rust off of guys like Lad McConkie and Dejan Edwards. But I think we're going to be prepared in time for some of our, our bigger opponents. Yeah, and there is something to be said about, you know, hey, yes, we're not getting the quite what we've liked uh, as far as a non-conference schedule and what we've enjoyed in the past few years um, having kind of one marquee matchup. But what we are getting um, is a time to kind of build. And and I do think that this might be important for this team because, as I noted, we've lost, you know, some insane amount of players, you know, and you include free agents and stuff. I mean, there's probably uh, upwards of 40 players on NFL rosters uh, from the last two seasons. And that's just, I mean, that's incredible and also insane to think about um, and yeah, so I think, but the talent is there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we've recruited the best we ever have for these past few seasons and nothing has stopped about that. And so I do think it's, you know, it's figuring it out. It's also, you know, figuring out that, Hey, we're going to have to exert pressure from different angles. We're going to have to do things a little bit differently. How, how can we figure that out? You know? And, uh, it's not it's not one of those things that you just snap your fingers and solve um if we had another guy because that's just what happened is you know we had uh jordan davis right into jalen carter we had two massive monsters in the middle and now you know we don't have a guy who's quite that and that is that's going to change your approach to the game bottom line they're they're those guys are difference makers but any final thoughts, Kyler, before we kind of move on and talk more holistically at college football? Um, you know, all these are just, you know, points that we're making right now uh, that are concerns. You know, we, we felt these, you know, kind of emotions um, even last year, um, playing teams like Kent State. You know, the Missouri game, if, if uh, Malachi Starks doesn't make a, a tackle on the goal line, we're not national champions. And also Kentucky, a 16-6 to win there, gritty win up in Lexington. So um, it's nothing new for us to, to have some of these closer games. Um, I do look at these opponents um, in the MAC, you know, that, that we're kind of treating this like a, like a game to develop depth. I mean, um, you, know, you can see out there uh, the cornerback position opposite of, opposite of Kamari Lasseter. I mean, we had probably three or four guys rotating there with the first team. So, yeah, I think that we're still trying to test different pieces out, see what works best. Um, even on the offensive line, I saw, you know, uh, Dylan Fairchild out there, uh, you know, making plays um, from the guard position. Micah Morris has, has been getting in, Jared Wilson. So they've been rotating in a lot of guys trying to develop depth. And I think that's going to be super important down the road because you don't know when injury injury bugs are going to hit and those guys are going to be called on um, to, to step into the spotlight and make big time plays. Yeah, I think that, you know, not having certain guys obviously is is a problem from a rhythm standpoint, but it does allow other guys to step up next man up. And so, you know, hopefully the bottom line is all these things pay dividends at the end of the season and you are looking back and wondering you know, what would have been if X, Y, and Z would have, uh, you know, occurred. But those questions probably aren't going to come up until later in the season because our schedule just is very, very soft. Um, you know, maybe we don't want to put get our skis in front of ourselves too much, but man, 
Um, it feels like it would be a monumental upset if we were to to lose one of the first, you know, six, seven games of the year, really before we get to Old Miss, if I'm thinking correctly. Um, you know, at Auburn uh, it, at the end of this month is, is an interesting game. But, yeah, we, we'll talk about that more as we get closer um, to that game. And, obviously, we're going to talk about South Carolina a lot more too. But time to get to the national stage. And, Calder, this is something I was thinking about. And so – this is kind of how we're going to do it this week. We're going to give our conference rankings, A, the conference rankings. So what conference do you believe is the strongest? What do you think is the weakest? And then within the conference, what's your rankings? 1 to 12, 1 to 14. We're only going to do the Power 5 conferences. It would get a little wild if we got all the other ones involved too. We'll talk about some of those teams later on in the season, but – you know, one thing I think that we both have thought is this season feels a lot more wide open than a lot. Honestly, this would have been the perfect year to implement the 12-team playoff because it feels like more than 12 teams honestly have a legitimate shot. And, yeah, every year kind of feels like that. But uh, with Alabama going down, with Georgia not, you know, we don't look like absolute world beaters. You know, Ohio State, who has been a really dominant team, doesn't look like you know, they look beatable. And then you have other teams like Texas and Penn State and some of those squads who have come out and really played strong uh, when starting this season off. So bottom line is, Kyler, you know, want to test the thermometer. And then I want to come back and revisit this in two weeks and see how much our week-in, week-out picks have changed as far as rankings go. And also, has maybe conference supremacy changed uh, at all after we see, you know, some more of these teams in action after a few weeks. I think we start at the top. Both of us believe the top dog in the conference is a conference that's going away this year. Insane to think about that the strongest conference in America is getting broken up because they couldn't find the money. Uh, just ridiculous to think. But it's the Pac-12, and we we differ quite greatly in our top picks. And I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, your maybe top six, and then I'll talk about my top six. You can highlight the teams that you think are, you know, what they are, um, because honestly, our seven to 12 is the same, but our one to six, it varies quite a bit. So get into it. Who are your top six? Yeah, I mean, my top six in the Pac-12 um, are going to be USC, Oregon, Utah at three, Washington at four, Oregon State at five, and Colorado then and the primetime uh, hype machine at six. So um, I've got USC at the very top, and that's because of mainly one guy, uh, Caleb Williams, but he has got some freaking weapons around him. I don't know if you've been watching the Zachariah Branch kid, but I think I saw a stat. He's the first person ever as a freshman to have a – punt return, kick return, and a receiving touchdown in the same season. But just looking at this kid, he is just different than everybody else on the field. Um, he, I've never seen anybody move like the way he does. Um, he's going to be one of the elite um, return men in the entire country. He gives me scary, like Tyreek Hill vibes out there. But Caleb Williams is you know, obviously a fantastic quarterback. Um, and then the defensive side of the ball, I feel like they are improved. Um, and so I think that they're improved enough to, to take that top notch in the Pac-12. Um, with Oregon, 
Um, big fan of Dan Lanning and what he's doing there. I like the experience of his quarterback, Bo Nix. Um, he's got some weapons around him as well. Um, they've been you know, putting up a lot of points. Went uh, to Lubbock, Texas, a very tough environment to go in and steal a victory away, but they ended up coming back and beating uh, uh, what I think is a good Texas Tech team. So I thought that was a super quality win there. Utah, I, I've got at three. Um, however, you know, I, it could, could have been a toss-up between them and Washington um, at four. But with Utah specifically, I want to I want to see Cam Rising and how he performs out there when he gets healthy. Um, give him some time to kind of shake off some rust and see what he can do. But, you know, their defense is always going to be solid at Utah. Um, it's been great for years. So I've got them at, at the three spot at four. Um, it's pretty undeniable, um, the talent that Michael Penix has. Um, you know, he's he was lighting it up at Indiana. Now he's here at Washington the last two years um, and has really taken this offense to the next level. They, they've always done a really good, good job recruiting there at Washington. I feel like they always have a ton of Samoans out there flying around making plays. Um, and then Oregon State, you know, I, I, I've got them at five right now, but, you know, they've got the potential to, for, for me to climb all the way up to, to, to two um, and surpass a lot of the teams in front of them. Um, I like the, you know, I feel like DJ Uyangalele has found, a, you know, a better culture fit for himself and is more comfortable out there on the West Coast, has really been making great plays. Martinez, the running back down there, he's doing awesome. Uh, this wide receiver, number seven, Bolden for Oregon State, had a terrific game last week. So they've got, you know, a lot of threats um, you know, at all layers of their offense. And then, you know, the defense has really been a, a strong point for uh, for Oregon State for the past couple of years now. So um, that's a team with a lot of potential to keep an eye out for. Um, and then Colorado, I, I got to give them the nod. Um, I feel like, you know, the, the hype train with Dion. um, you know, the fact that he was able to turn over a roster and start the season out 2-0, and um, it just shows the, the the job that he and his coaches and staff have done this year. So, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, of what they have going on at Colorado. But I still think, you know, we'll, we'll find out more about them um, in a couple of weeks and see what they're really about. Yeah, Kyler, um, you know, you got to give Colorado credit for going in and winning at TCU. But honestly, I don't necessarily know – what to think about Nebraska or TCU for that matter. And yeah, their first real, real test comes at Oregon. And then I believe they, right after that, host USC. So so things are going to get real for them very quickly. We're going to find out who they are uh, as a program. I mean, you're t- that's your number one and number two. I see it differently, though. You talked about the Washington Huskies. I've got them number one. I think that offensively, uh, Penix is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. If not, you know, I, th- I think he's a guy who might be, you know, might end up at in the Heisman race um, before it's all said and done. And then I've got Utah at number two, but that's pending Cam Rising coming back healthy. They brought back a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. And it's like, if Cam Rising comes back, we know what he brings to the table. The other thing about Utah is that, you know, they get Weber State and then UCLA at home in their next two matches. So I think that, you know, they might be able to skate by. They might be able to survive because UCLA is a team that is is reloading a little bit. Um, 
I've Oregon State at three, uh, DJU, and you know I think we figured it out. Maybe, and we'll talk about this a little later. Clemson might be the team that uh, that's the toxicity. It's not DJU, and so um, that's an interesting team to watch. In just two weeks, they go on the road and play at Washington State, which is the other team that you didn't mention. Um, and I will say, I've got Oregon as the fourth best team. USC is the fifth best team. In Colorado, we agree with that as the sixth best team, with Wazoo being seven. But here's the thing. I, I, I did that in some ways to just say, like, listen, it's anybody's ball game. I really do think USC is probably the most talented team. And if you held a gun to my head and said, who's going to win the uh, Pac-12, I probably would pick USC. But – I do think that Washington has just as good of a chance because I think they're better on both sides of the ball than USC. USC just has an absolute magic worker and tons of pieces to go around on the offensive side of the ball. I, I still feel like I'm, I'm not totally sold on USC's defense. That's what we got to see. But, you know, Colorado is a team who obviously brings a really great offense um, to what we've seen, at least to this point. So, that's going to be an interesting, you know, that'll be a fascinating test for USC. Um, but yeah, Wazoo, I think, is right there too. And then, you know, who knows? UCLA, do, do they surprise some people? I mean, Chip Kelly, I, I feel like he's got it going. So really the top eight, I think UCLA and Wazoo, their ceiling might be a little lower. But from I honestly think maybe even Wazoo throw them in there. Um, those top seven teams could could end up any any which way. Yeah, I, mean, I think that you know you've got two tiers here, and I think the top eight, um, you know, could could end up in any sort of order. But and it's a pretty sharp drop off from there um, with Arizona, Cal, Stanford, and Arizona State. Um, you know, I think that all those teams are are kind of garbage, and so. Um, but it is a very interesting conference and the fact that you have that many teams that are, are playing uh, such good ball right now. Um, makes for some good late Saturday nights. Yeah, we're going to get it at least one, one, more, one more year of it because I, I got a feeling that they're going to play earlier games, you know, when you're playing Big 12 teams and stuff. Or I, I don't know, maybe they will allow a Big 12 10 p.m. matchup um, or a Big 10 10 p.m. matchup. I mean, that seems insane, but – that's the new reality. We'll just have to see. I mean, hey, the, they want to sell TV rights. As I really start thinking about it, they want to sell TV rights. They, you got to believe that we're still going to get the late games. I mean, that and, and that's some of our most fun watching, honestly, Kyler, staying up until like one in the morning and seeing these like insane finishes. Great, great stuff. Um, all right, we move to the next conference, and I believe both of us feel that the second strongest conference is the Big 12. Uh, it, are we in agreement on that, Kyler? We are not in agreement on that. Um, I did a little deeper dive into you know each of the conferences. Um, I've got both the, the Big 10 and SEC over the Big 12 right now. Uh, Big 12, uh, just kind of you know how I see it, is – you really just got Texas. Um, I mean, you can't – can you tell me that you're sold on Kansas State or Oklahoma at this point? I mean, those are the three teams um, in the top 25 for the Big 12 right now. Yeah, and I get that, but I do think that the Big 12 has more potential. I mean, you've got Kansas, who I think could be really good. UCF, 
could be very good. They went to Boise. I think we got to see more from Boise. Obviously, they had two very difficult games, but Boise maybe not that team, and we might find that out. BYU, I mean, that's a team that always is dangerous. There are a lot of teams that I think we just we don't know enough about. Now, I will say I think the bottom of the Big 12 is not very good. I mean, Texas Tech, I, you know, losing on the road at Wyoming, that's never an easy place to play. But Baylor, I mean, they played Utah tough, but it doesn't feel like they have much of an offense. West Virginia feels like the, they're getting ready to go through a coaching change. And then Iowa State's dealing with all their gambling issues. Um, so I do think that the bottom of that conference is not very good. Oklahoma State also does not feel to be the same team that they have been the past couple seasons. It feels like they have taken a step back. But TCU, they feel like they could be a team that grows into a, team, a much better team at the end of the season. They replaced a lot from that magical season. Otherwise, I mean, Cincy and, you know, obviously the three that are ranked, K-State, OU, Texas, um, strong. But I, I don't know. I, I think that there are a lot of decently solid teams. Um, but, you know, I guess what's your argument that that the Big Ten and the SEC have eight more solid teams? Like, who are the top eight? And if you match them up, why are they so much better? Well, I mean, for the Big Ten, it really didn't have as much to do with, you know, the the you know, body of their conference, right, the, the middle part of it. I mean, it's really just kind of revolves around um, having, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all at the top. And I think that those are three of the elite teams um, in college football right now. So it's not really as much about, like, top to bottom, um, you know, be, being better. But it, for me, it's like – well, those three teams are all, you know, elite, in my, in my opinion. Um, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. And Iowa, you know, I think that their defense is just as incredible this year as it's been in past years. Um, you know, they've tried to switch up some things on offense, you know. But we'll see if that pays dividends for them um, against some more formidable, formidable opponents. But, you know, uh, Michigan, you know, number two in, in the country, Ohio State and, and Penn State both very highly ranked. So, you know, the, the fact that those two teams are, you know, the, they all have to duke it out with one another, those three do. So I, I consider it, you know, I, just those three alone, you know, put them above just having, I think, Texas as one really elite team in, in college football. Because let's be honest, I mean, we don't really watch a lot of what happens, you know, kind of with the Illinois, Michigan States, Wisconsin's of the world, um, unless they're, you know, relevant and upsetting some of these you know, more elite teams. Yeah, so I do see, you know, your perspective. And, you know, speaking of those three elite teams, let's talk about the Big Ten. You know, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State are my top three teams. I've got Iowa at number four, Maryland at number five, Michigan State at six, Wisconsin seven, Minnesota eight, Rutgers nine, Indiana's 10, Purdue 11, Illinois 12, Nebraska 13, and Northwestern at 14. I mean, we do see some of the same things, but actually not not entirely. Um, but why don't you talk about the teams that, you know, what your top four is and, you know, talk about the two teams that you kind of want to highlight. Yeah. Um, so with the Big Ten, um, you know, I've got, you know, one through four, we have it exactly the same. Um, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa. 
I put Rutgers at five, uh, Maryland at six, Wisconsin at seven, Michigan State at nine, Minnesota at 10, 11 Illinois, 12 Nebraska, 13 Indiana, and 14 Northwestern. And just kind of going back and looking at this, I do think that I didn't give Michigan State enough justice. I feel like I was just feeling the uh, the Mel Tucker effect earlier. But uh, but honestly, though, any of those teams, you know, five through nine, um, maybe even throw in 10, but uh, specifically five through nine, I, I feel like those could be interchangeable between Purdue, Wisconsin, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State. But, but really want to highlight um, Penn State and Iowa. Uh, for Iowa, um, I'll start with them. I think that, you know, they are a very similar team to what we've seen out of them in the past. Um, elite defense, um, offense struggling quite a bit, but uh, they brought in Cade McNamara, um, transfer from Michigan, to try to revamp this offense. And they've been slightly better, but not saying that they're great. But uh, yeah, that defense is going to keep them in all games. And if they can start to click on on offense, you know, Iowa might be a formidable opponent there in the Big Ten. Uh, and then Penn State, I mean, this is, you know, one of my dark horse uh, playoff teams. I think that, um, you know, they have the the talent there to, to compete with Ohio State and both Michigan. Um, I really like this kid, Drew Aylard, the way that he's playing, the, the quarterback. Um, Nick Singleton, um, I think, is one of the best running backs probably in the Big Ten or even in the whole country. Um, and then their defense is, is always pretty good as well. So uh, I think for James Franklin, this is a big year for him to, to you know, finally get over that hump. Um, you know, I think that they finish, you know, first or second this year, um, you know, when it's all said and done. Um, but – but, yeah, uh, Penn State, uh, I want everybody to keep an eye out on them. I know that we've kind of uh, poo-pooed them in the past, but um, I feel like they've, they've recruited well and, and finally have – you know, the big thing for them with me is, you know, finally having a good quarterback. And I'm tired of seeing Trace McSorley's, Christian Hackenberg's, that just guys that I feel like are very subpar. But I feel like this guy is legit, Drew Alar, And, uh, yeah, I think he's going to have a big season and, and be a household name very soon. Yeah, now we did swap Ohio State and Michigan. I do have Ohio State right now as first. I just think that they're, they're overall – maybe that Michigan would beat them if they played right now, but I think that you know the ability is there for Ohio State to, I feel like, get to a higher gear than any other team. You know, Maybe Penn State is actually that other team that is you – know, that can get there. I think what we know about Michigan is they're steady um, – but also, I feel like when it comes to offensive explosiveness, there's just something that's not quite there um, if they really want to get over the hump finally and get to, um, you know, a national championship, just quite frankly, first um, have been exited in the semifinals the last two seasons. But, you know, the teams that I want to talk about are Maryland, who I have, and you have, well, you have six, I have five. I think Maryland's a team, once again, fascinating. I feel like every year we talk about them being a team that could, you know, is it the year that they kind of figure things out? Um, I, I think what's fascinating about their schedule, already have two wins, not really notable against Towson and Charlotte, but they get Virginia at home this week. We're going to talk about that game in a little bit. And then they go on the road and play at Michigan State. And who knows what Michigan State, what state of mind their players are in uh, currently, given all the stuff with Mel Tucker. So I, they're just a team that's fascinating. And especially, you know, it'll be fascinating to see what happens this week 
Um, Michigan State plays Washington at home, and uh, you know that game could go either way. And obviously, I talked about how high I am on Washington, um, but you know they've got to win this. Obviously, win, and I think win soundly um, this weekend. So I, we'll see. But Michigan I State does have the fight, or you know the talent, and I think you know we'll see if they have the fight. But like, definitely could provide some difficult tests for. Um, for Washington. And I mean, we've seen it where Texas Tech or Baylor, um, both teams that are 0-2, uh, gave really difficult tests to, to Pac-12 teams. So, um, you know, maybe this is the similar situation where an undermatched uh, Big Ten team comes out and kind of, um, yeah, just given the flight difference and all that stuff is able to kind of make it more of a game than maybe what it should be on paper. Um, the other team I want to talk about, Rutgers, 2-0, and Northwestern and Temple. You have Rutgers all the way at five. I have them at ninth, but um, a very winnable game this weekend to get to 3-0, and Virginia Tech, and then they have to go on the road and play at Michigan. But I think what's fascinating is, you know, Rutgers is doing a decently well on offense. Um, they've got a guy who's rushed for 214 yards, Kyle Monagai, who's, I think, a pretty good back but um where they really get their work done is on the defensive side of the ball and so uh, they i feel like that matchup is fascinating and if michigan's not you know is is not doesn't have their head fully screwed on i could see that maybe being one of the most surprise upsets of the year or at least one of those games that we look back on and we're like wow that game was a lot closer than what the prognosticators expected but um to your point, I think it really is, you know, the top three. And then maybe you have a, um, you know, maybe there will be two different groups where you have like a 2A and a 2B at, by the end of the season. But wh- who those groups are, I'm really not sure. And then I think as you go down, you know, Indiana does not look very good. Nebraska does not look good. Northwestern does not look good. So um, I think those teams, uh, yeah, are going to have some difficulty uh, as well as Illinois, quite frankly, and Purdue, you know, they got a good win at Virginia Tech after suffering a pretty bad loss uh, at home to Fresno State. So I don't know, maybe it, maybe Purdue figures it out and, you know, maybe Indiana gets things going on offense and, you know, is better than people expect. But uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's how I see it. Those are um, the matchups that I see. And, and I think the big thing to note about the Big Ten is a lot of the more marquee matchups happen later in the season. The exception being Notre Dame uh, hosts Ohio State in the the fourth game of the season. As I mentioned, Penn State and Iowa play in that fourth game. Michigan State, Maryland. Um, but you know, as far as there being heavy hitting games like the Pac-12 has. Um, you know, week in, week out, it feels like uh, the Big Ten, you know, more of a backloaded schedule. But uh, I do think that we'll find out more and maybe we'll be able to group those middle teams uh, with a little bit more assurance uh, after we look at, you know, the season with one third of the season gone. Um, let's move to your next, you, you know, the next uh, conference, the SEC. Um, Kyler, what, you know, why don't you give your uh, – Give your breakdown. I'll let you go first this time. Yeah, man. Uh, so, obviously, um, on top, number one, got the Georgia Bulldogs. Number two, got the Alabama Crimson Tide. Number 
three, got uh, the boys from Knoxville, Tennessee, four, Ole Miss, five, Arkansas, six, LSU, seven, Kentucky, eight, Mississippi State, nine, Auburn, 10, Missouri, 11, South Carolina, 12, Florida, 13, Vanderbilt, and 14, good old Texas A&M. And so, I mean, just to kind of go through this a little bit, I mean, I do want to talk about, uh, you know, specifically Alabama and Ole Miss. I think that, um, you know, the, both those teams have the potential to, to still make the playoffs. Alabama, if they've run the table, beat the dogs in, in the SEC championship, you know, that I think that they get an invite there, right, even with the loss to Texas. And then, um, which, which is very interesting to me, I mean, Alabama is not out of it by any means. Um, and I know that was a disappointing loss for the, for the Tide fans, but um, you know, there's just some stuff to correct on offense um, there with, with, with Jalen Milrow. I mean, he, he is an, an – I think he's an accurate passer. He throws a deep ball. He just sometimes can't read coverages, and, and that's a problem. And so – and Texas did a great job of uh, converting those turn, turnovers into touchdowns. Really reminds me of the complimentary – um, football that, that we've seen Georgia play the last few years. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Alabama fans, I mean, I know that that's tough, tough pill to swallow um, this early in the season, but uh, I know that's going to light a fire under, under Saban and, and he's going to get the boys you know, firing on all cylinders. I can just tell you, I would not want to be um, a South Florida bull um, this weekend in Raymond James stadium. Um, and then Ole Miss, um, you know, I still don't know, you know, if if they're going to be as good as, you know, Alabama or Tennessee. You know, I, I was kind of debating it, but, um, you know, they, they've got a really good quarterback in Jackson Dart. He's got really good weapons around him. They are so much improved um, on Ole Miss the last couple of years um, on the defensive side of the ball. Lane Kiven um, has got a great offensive mind uh you know, for whatever reason, I feel like he slows down later in the season, but kind of opens up with the bang. Um, so I just want to see if they can sustain, you know, this level of play um, throughout the season. Um, I feel like, you know, every year in the Egg Bowl, um, yeah, there's not really much offensive production from um, Lane Kiffin and, and his squad. So, um, but right now they're, they're firing on all cylinders. Um, yeah, I'm excited for, for the season ahead for them. Yeah, Kyler, I think that – um, bottom line is Alabama, that was a tough loss. But to your point, I think Texas is a really, really good team. I think we're going to talk about them in just a second. And uh, they're going to be there, uh, I think, when the dust settles and, and we get down to four teams or at least um, right there competing for it with a couple other, I think, really good teams in the Big 12. Um, but uh, Ole Miss uh, as well is is a team that that I think is one to watch. Um, it does feel like Kiffin, in part, maybe why he slowed down at the end of seasons, he did, did, just didn't have the defense, and so um, relying so heavily on offense, you lose a couple players on that side of the ball, and you're in trouble um, as well. Once people have film on what you're doing. Um, it makes it more difficult. And obviously, as the season goes on, people get more film. Um, and so I think that the team that Ole Miss puts out now is a more balanced uh, attack. And so we're going to find out a lot. And, you know, the two teams you mentioned meet up uh, in week four. Um, Ole Miss travels to Alabama. And, wow, what would it be if 
if Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin pulled the upset, and that really, I mean, I think it would be hard-pressed to remember a time where Bama not only went one and one, but started the season two and two. But I do think that, uh, you know, this year is more likely than than not for um, for that to happen the first time, you know, as I say, first time in forever. Um but, you know, the, the, who I have um, as people to talk about are more on the disappointing side. And I guess Alabama is there, but LSU and Texas A&M. And, you know, how I see it is UGA at top, Tennessee, the number two team, still Bama at three, LSU at four, Ole Miss at five, Missouri at six, Texas A&M at seven, Kentucky at eight, SC at nine, Mississippi State at 10, Florida, Arkansas, Auburn, and Vandy. And, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think that this is where, you know, these teams, there are some of these teams that I mentioned that really could catapult. I mean, you have Arkansas at five. I have them at 12. I think that we, there's just not enough known about that team. They do play BYU at home this week. They do go on the road and play LSU the week after. We're going to find out a lot more about them. Uh, Kentucky's a team that, I don't know. Are they going to be a little bit better on offense? I think that they're very good on defense, but, you know, they've beaten Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron is their next opponent, and then they play at Vandy and Florida at home uh, before coming to Athens. It's easily possible they're 4-0 and uh, going into the game with Georgia, and we still won't know too much about them. Um, Florida's a team that gets Tennessee at home this weekend. I think I'm interested to see that game. I think Tennessee – does I think they should roll, but who knows? Maybe Florida, you know, starts to figure it out. Maybe this is, you know, midseason when they finally turn the corner. Missouri, an incredibly interesting, I think, uh, team, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think Kansas State uh, this weekend coming to Missouri. I mean, that's that's maybe the marquee matchup of the weekend, quite frankly. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, but the two teams that I do really want to spend more time on are LSU and LSU. It's just, you know, what LSU are we going to see? It feels like, um, we saw a little bit of inconsistency from them last year. Uh, we saw an inconsistency as far as just in game goes, um, this year, uh, I thought they played a pretty good first half against Florida State and then absolutely got throttled in the second half. So, you know, it's one of those things where um, they've got to play complete games. Uh, we're going to find out a lot. They go on the road at Mississippi State. They're another team, Kyler. They absolutely can make the playoff. They run the table and beat Georgia in an SEC championship. Yeah, they're going to make the playoff or beat Tennessee in the SEC championship. Absolutely. But the, you know, the window and, you know, the what they have to do, they don't have really much of a margin of error. And the same goes for Alabama, and especially because the SEC, you know, is not that premier conference. We've played a bunch of games out of conference and have not done well. Uh, and so, you know, some of that stuff might not pay as many dividends as it did in season where, hey, maybe you lose twice, but they're really good, you know, and then go on a run and beat a bunch of these top teams like that Auburn team did uh, before we beat them in the SEC championship in 2017. It's like you, you have that opportunity. The cracks might not be there uh, this year, you know, against the top 10, 11 teams. So um, I think that, 
that is a very interesting, they're an interesting team to watch. And does Jalen Daniels start setting the world on fire or, you know, um, do we see some inconsistency from him and from that offense to where, uh, you know, that that's what holds him back. And, you know, what happens with the defense? I think we came in expecting this defense to be one of the best in the country and they haven't quite been that. I mean, they beat Grambling 72 to 10, but there's very little I think we can get from that. But we're going to get a lot um, them going to Mississippi State this weekend. The other team that I want to highlight, Texas A&M. You have them as last uh, last place in the SEC. I think that's a little much. Um, Vanderbilt, you know, I know Vanderbilt's two and one, but I mean, they got throttled by Wake Forest. I'm not so sure that Texas A&M, if they played at Wake Forest, uh, would have that same outcome. I think that, you know, Miami's a much better improved team. But with that said, um, the defensive performance, especially from Texas A&M, just leaves so much to be uh, desired. And, you know, it's a defense littered with five-star talent, and they just seem to look hapless out there. Um, not great tacklers. And, you know, does that change all of a sudden? Do you just become a, um, you know, flip the switch? I don't think so. And so um, that's a team that I think is going to underachieve again. I think it might be Jimbo's final season, but I think it's a dangerous team too. I think it's a team that at any given time can win, you know, and can take out Alabama and things like that. And so, I don't know. Um, do they turn the corner finally, or uh, is it is it a more inconsistency? And I tend to believe it is going to be inconsistency. I mean, that was the most embarrassing, I think, performance of the week against Miami. Uh, just the way that they were just throttled at the end of the game is honestly very similar, it felt like, to that LSU-FSU game where it was close, it was close, and then, oh, my God, it's not close at all. Uh, but any final thoughts before before we talk about the Big Twelve? Yeah, I mean, with Texas A and M, I mean, you got to think is is I mean, how stuck is Texas A and M? I mean, I heard something that you know, some ridiculous stat that if they waited till the year twenty thirty, they still have to buy his contract out for like eight or nine million dollars. Um, that, that's a that's a big chunk of change. Um, and so, I mean, is there going to be a, a booster that's like, all right, I'm sick and tired of, of our football team being terrible and just you know, completely buy out this contract? Don't think it's worth the money for, for any human on earth to do that. Um, and, you know, with everything, with, you know, they're getting NIL deals and then the guys are transferring the next year. I mean, is, are there, is their donor base even going to want to you know, support after, you know, the, um, you know, this display of just horrible coaching that they've seen from from Jimbo the past few years. Yeah, I, you know, Texas A&M is just it's a head scratcher. It's one of those places that, you know, if they get it right, I mean, it can be an absolute dominant force, but they never seem to get it right. I mean, they had it right in the recruiting trail, but it has not paid dividends. And I mean, Jimbo's been there too long. It just feels like uh, it feels like they should be a lot better at this point. And if they're not, uh, it's probably time to, to look at something else. And they have, uh, you know, according to the 247 composite, um, you know, roster rankings, uh, they have the fourth best roster in the entire country, like right now, um, the amount of talent they have on their team. So, I mean, it's, it's not a, a matter of recruiting better down there. It's a matter of changing the culture completely. 
um, I think, in order to get them to turn around. But, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of enjoy it. This is why you don't fork up ridiculous dough for um, you know, a guy you know is not going to bring you to a natty. Yeah, and I'll say in that same, in that same grouping, Miami is 12th, so it's not like Miami is any slouches. And what we might see from Texas A&M is you know, a, a solid team that just ran into a Miami team that ends up being very good. Um, but I, I tend to, you know, just given everything that we know and given how Miami has played in the last few seasons too, they are, they should be improved with Cristobal, but I do think they're probably a year away from being that team that um, Cristobal would like them to be. So uh, yeah, it just, it's, um, it is very interesting. And I think that, uh, you know, we've got Michigan State that's likely going to be open, but that is the job opening that might create just ripples throughout the college football landscape if if Texas A&M opens up again. Because, I mean, with the exception of very few coaches, they pretty much can go out there and get anyone, it feels like. So um, we'll have to keep we'll have to keep an eye on what happens there. Let's move to the Big 12. Largely, we see the top similar. We do have Kansas State and OU flipped at two and three. I've got Texas, OU, Kansas State, Kansas as the top four. Uh, UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, TCU, OK State, Houston, Texas Tech, Baylor, West Virginia, and Iowa State. Why don't you give your top 14 and, you know, give a breakdown. I know you want to talk about Texas and Kansas, I think a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, obviously at the top, you mentioned that we both have Texas and, and we flip-flopped Kansas State and Oklahoma. I, I went with Kansas State uh, over Oklahoma just because I'm, I'm just not sold on, on Oklahoma. I saw too many poor games last year out of them. They have looked strong so far to start the year, but I want to see them against a quality opponent uh, to see if they have um, progressed before I give them that number two notch, which they normally, you know, get there in the Big 12. Um, and then Kansas, uh, really big fan of Jalon Daniels, um, the the quarterback there, uh, make plays with his legs. has been extremely accurate this year um, and just – yeah, that, that offense is a lot of fun to watch um, down there in Lawrence. Um, got Cincinnati, a little blast from the past there. Uh, quarterback Emory Jones uh, tossing the tater down there. So, um, But he's having a great season. Um, that you know, They've got a great defense from uh, that was developed by Luke, Luke Fickle, who's on off to, gone off to uh, Wisconsin. But, um, yeah, see good things out of them. TCU, I put them at six. I think that might be a little bit high, but – yeah, they do have Chad Morris, and people forget that uh, – not Chad Morris, but Chandler Morris, the, the son of Chad. Um, he, he was uh, the starting quarterback last year um, against Colorado of all teams. Um, but he went down with an injury. Max Duggan takes over, and the rest is history. Uh, BYU got a got a challenging game against undefeated Arkansas. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's another one of the premier matches uh, this weekend as well. Um, you know, we, we do know a little bit about their their quarterback at Arkansas, the, the kid from South Panola, Mississippi, K.J. Jefferson. He's an absolute beast out there. You know, Sam Pittman, you know, he gets his guys, uh, to, you know, to play hard um, you know, every single game. Those guys love him, so why not play hard for him? But I, I'm interested to see that game. UCF, John Rice Plumley, they've, you know, recruited um, or – taking in a lot of transfers to, the, to this squad and, and, and seem to be pretty good. Um, I think that I might be a little bit low on UCF here. 
Um, I put Texas Tech, um, the best. I call them the best zero uh, two team in the country. Uh, you know, uh, um, the, the loss against Wyoming, you know, should never happen. But I thought they lost to a really good Oregon team. Um, so hats off to Oregon being able to go down there to Lubbock and, and get that W. Oklahoma State. I mean, honestly, I feel like since last year when they got absolutely throttled like forty eight nothing by by Kansas State, it just really hasn't been the same down there um, over in Stillwater. So. Um, I've knocked them down a few notches. Baylor, it's a Dave, Dave Aranda team. Um, I feel like they're always going to have a good good defense, but they really need to get it going on offense in order to <clears throat> in order to have success this year and be in that top tier of teams in the Big 12. Houston, um, relatively new entrance to the Big 12. Uh, got them ranked at number 12. Um, at number 13, I've got Iowa State. Um, and then at 14, I've got West Virginia. But really want to highlight Texas and just, you know, how good this team is. Um, obviously on the offensive side of the ball, uh, that they've got a terrific quarterback in Quinn Ewers. Um, you know, the big thing I want to see out of Quinn though is consistency. Um, I know that he started out, started out great last year in a game against Alabama, got injured, came back, um, had to shake off some rust, had a couple of good games sprinkled in there, but wasn't the same player before. But, you know, what we saw on Saturday, that was, you know, that, that is, Top-notch Quinn Ewers, the guy that was the number one overall player, um, you know, in the country. Uh, that guy is absolutely terrific, and he's got some great weapons around him. Um, Xavier Worthy, he's been at uh, Texas. This is his third year there. Um, just incredibly fast. Um, Jordan Whittington, um, it's like a bigger slot receiver that they use there. Uh, he, he's had a terrific season so far. Um, you know, cannot miss on uh, A.D. Mitchell. You know, the guy's proven himself in, in, in a very limited amount of work that he's had actually on the field. But, you know, when his when his number's called, um, he tends to just have a knack for making those big plays and big-time games. Um, and then they have the tight end, Jatavian Sanders from Allen, Texas, the, the high school of, of Kyler Murray. Um, I think that he's – in my my book, I have him as the second best tight end in the country behind Brock Bowers. Um, he had a great game against Alabama. It's a total um, you know, matchup nightmare for them. Um, but then to move on to Kansas, um, you know, I did kind of highlight them a little bit um, earlier. But yeah, Jalen Jalon Daniels, um, this quarterback, I think he's the real deal. Um, really came onto the scene last year, got injured. Didn't really hear much from him after that injury, but looks like he's back to um, his top form right now. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, how Kansas does and if they're able to elevate to the top of the conference. Yeah, I, I think that Kansas might still have a ceiling that is not top of the conference, but I definitely think that they are in the top tier, if you will, um, or the top of maybe maybe I don't include them in the top tier. I collude them the best of the rest, though, because I see it Texas, OU, Kansas State. And I'm going to come back and talk to uh, about OU and Kansas State, but as well, um, Kansas, number four, UCF, you talked about them. Um, you know, I, I don't know about Boise State. They're, you know, if Texas Tech is the best 0-2 team, I think Boise State is the second best 0-2 team. Um, and, you know, two, two difficult matches, Washington and UCF, and I think both Washington and UCF might be really good, um, but it also could be that Boise State's just not that good and we're kind of overrating them. Uh, as you mentioned, Cincinnati, I, I think they had a pretty resounding win at Pitt. 
uh, which was very, very impressive. Uh, they meet OU at home at the end of the month, and that's going to say a lot. BYU, you talked about, we're going to hear a lot about them this week with Arkansas having to go to Arkansas, make that return trip. And then right after that, they have to go and play at Kansas, the team you talked about as one of your highlighted teams. That's a team we're going to find a lot about. TCU, tough loss to Colorado, but then they beat Nickel State that they have at Houston and SMU. I think the one benefit to TCU's schedule is having kind of that soft opening. I, I do think that they replaced a lot on the defensive side of the ball, and I think that that obviously was shown to be a weakness against Colorado. It never was their biggest strength, but you know they, they made plays. They got turnovers last year, and they need to do some something similar, I think, if they're going to – you know, find themselves at the top of the Big 12. I don't really see them doing it, but I definitely see them being in that in that bunch. And then I kind of look at it, you know, you have Oklahoma State, Houston, Texas Tech, Baylor, West Virginia, and Iowa State. And yes, Iowa State might be the, you know, the bottom of that totem pole, West Virginia too. But I also think those teams are dangerous. They have talent. They're well coached, at least Iowa State, maybe not so much of West Virginia. You know, Iowa State dealing with a lot of gambling issues. You know, a lot of their players are suspended. So that's really where their issues are are stemming from. And then West Virginia feels like their coach is on his last breath. But I think, you know, you mentioned uh, Dave Aranda, Texas Tech, and, you know, as well, Houston, I think, are all teams that are dangerous and kind of, you know, building back up their programs. Baylor might be taking a step back, but Dave Aranda's only been there so long. And then Oklahoma State seems like they kind of need to reinvent themselves. I'm not sure if, you know, if it's time for Gundy to, to head out the door or, you know, if he's just working it up. That's a team, you know, they play South Alabama, then at Iowa State. They're a team that could easily, while they might not be one of the better teams in the Big 12, just given their schedule, you know, they might be a team that's sitting there 4-0, 5-0 before it's all said and done. So I do think that that's fascinating um, to see how that breaks down. Now, I did say I want to talk about two teams, and that's Oklahoma first. Uh, they seem to have really righted the ship, Kyler. Last year, it was a incredibly un- underwhelming season. I believe they went six and six, maybe seven and five. But this year, have started out two and zero and really looked to be the team that we thought they would be last year. I think for some of us, we just kind of tend to forget, you know, how how difficult it is to keep the momentum going of a program, and especially one there was a lot of transfers out, and and it just. I think it took Venables just a year to kind of, you know, get his guys in. And then year two, it seems like he's really turned it up. They haven't really had the most difficult schedule. Arkansas State, they beat 73 nothing. beat SMU, who I think is, you know, going to be okay. I don't think they're anything too special, though. They go on the road to Tulsa this week, play at Cincinnati at the end of the month. I think I mentioned that earlier. That's going to be a very... Um, a very interesting team, I think, to keep watch on. And then the other team, Kansas State, you know, Will Howard uh, is an incredible quarterback, maybe the best quarterback in the Big 12. Um, You know, obviously Quinn Ewers is something special too, but he's right up there um, with Jalen Daniels too. So I think that You've got, you know, whenever you have that talent at quarterback, there's going to be some opportunities to to keep you in games late. And I think Kansas State also has an incredible defense to back that up. So they're a team that I think 
you know, a lot of people have picked them as a dark horse. I think they might be one of the bigger dark horse picks. I've heard plenty of people say Kansas State's winning the Big 12. And we're going to really find out about them. They throttled Troy, who won the Sun Belt last year. And now, you know, go to Missouri, who's got a really good defense. Uh, and then afterwards, get UCF at home. So in these next two weeks, I think the, you know, the hype, is either going to die for Kansas State or it's going to really, really throttle up uh, as we get into it. So um, that's kind of where I see it. Obviously, Texas, that huge win over Bama, has a leg up over everybody. But, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the Big 12 teams do have at least one good win on their on their schedule, at least the guys in the you know top six, seven, or an opportunity in BYU's case uh, over these next two weeks uh, with two very difficult matchups. So we're going to see. We are going to see. Let's move on, though, Kyler, ACC. You know, how I'm seeing it, FSU, Miami, Duke, UNC, Wake, Clemson, Louisville, Syracuse, BC, NC State, Pitt, VT, UVA, and Georgia Tech. That's the rankings. And I want to just say, like, I really see it being – you know, four teams who I see having a legitimate shot, FSU, Miami, Duke, and UNC. Maybe you could throw a wake in there. Clemson does not seem to be that team that we they were before. And it seems like Clemson, Louisville, Syracuse, BC, NC State, and Pitt are all, you know, so-so possibly. Uh, maybe Georgia Tech, you know, cracks into that. Uh, and then after that, I, I think Virginia Tech and Virginia are, are bad really bad and um yeah it's not a good not a good year for uh virginia football and i will say the difference that i see overall about the uh acc is i just think the bottom you know they've got more teams that are sagging towards the bottom and their bottom is really bad and then you know also on the flip side their top just is you know fsu is a great team and had a great win miami's you know had a possibly great win um, and Duke, you know, beat Clemson, but um, UNC had to, you know, escape in overtime against App State. And I don't know. It just doesn't feel like, you know, it's going to be a fun conference to watch. I think there's, you know, a front runner in FSU, but I, I don't think it's, I think it's the worst football that we're going to see. And Kyler, we'll come back to me. I'll talk about Miami and Duke in just a minute, but why don't you give me your breakdown? I think you want to talk about Florida State and Clemson a little bit more, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, for, for my rankings with the ACC, you know, one, one is pretty obvious to everybody in the country right now. Um, Florida State just looking really good, uh, both sides of the ball. Jordan Travis is, is, you know, ready to have a big time season. I think he's got a incredible number one receiver in Keon Coleman. They've got a slew of running backs. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're just so much fun to watch. They're, they're, they play extremely aggressive on defense, very physical team. Um, I think Mike, Mike Norvell's got it figured out. I think they're on the right track. So um, fully expect to see those guys in, in the final four when it's all said and done, um, and it's playoff time. Number two, I put I put Duke. Um, obviously, the win over Clemson. Um, I feel like they've been playing really good defense. They've got a, you know, a solid quarterback who doesn't really turn the ball over. Running game has been solid so far this year. They just look like a very well-rounded team. Uh, it's been fun to watch so far. I've got Syracuse at number three. Um, I've got Miami at number four um, after their win against AM. I got 
Louisville at five, uh, UNC at six, which, you know, that, that might be a little bit high. Uh, I want to talk about that for just a quick second. Uh, not completely sold on, on the UNC defense yet. I know that they you know, only allowed 17 points to, to South Carolina, but South Carolina was able to move that ball around very well on them, just couldn't convert in the red zone. Drake May is obviously a great quarterback. They've been running the ball extremely well this year, but want to see see that defense clamp down um, on some better opponents. Uh, I've got Wake Forest at number seven. I don't think that Vander, Vanderbilt is as bad as um, a lot of people do, um, but I thought that was a, a good win um, against Vanderbilt. I got Pitt at eight um, after after they lost their game, kind of dropped them a little bit, thought that they would be a little bit better. Uh, I've got Clemson at nine, um, Georgia Tech at 10, NC State at 11, and Boston College at 12, Virginia Tech at 13, and down at the bottom, unfortunately, is Virginia. I know that that program's had a tough go um, over the past year. Um, you know, dry. I'm pretty sure they dropped a game to, to James Madison last weekend, but hopefully they get it back on the right track. But yeah, definitely want to highlight Clemson. Yeah, this the squad, they are, it, it's, it's frustrating to watch. I know that we highlighted it last week, but yeah, Dabo's inability to adjust to the um, yeah, modern landscape of college football is going to send this program plummeting. Um, you know, I think it's time for, for the, for the fan base and then the alumni to, to get their act together and, you know, get a new guy in charge. Um, I think that's still a very desirable job. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's time for Dabo to go. Um, I'm interested to see if, if they can bounce back. I know they had a huge um, margin of victory this weekend, but it was against an FCS opponent. So don't really think that you can, you know, make too many conclusions um, you know, around that game, but um, definitely not sold on them. From what I saw from from Kate Klubnik week week one, um, really has me worried for this program because he was supposed to be the savior. He was supposed to be so much better than DJU. Just kind of sounds like a culture problem down there, or that it's 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 hoaxed um, down there at uh, at Clemson. So uh, a little worried about them. And then yeah, um, you know I hit on Florida State at, at the top of the the rankings. Uh, Mike Norvell done just a terrific job this year. I mean. They absolutely came out and just hit LSU in the mouth. You absolutely have to love that. Last week, uh, they played Southern Miss, who is actually a really good opponent, um, and handled them quite easily. Um, But I think they have such a great balance between offense and defense. Recruited really well the past few years. I've done really, really well in the transfer portal. Gotten guys like Jaheim Bell um, as well to come in. Keon Coleman from Michigan State. Um, and not only that, they've been really, really good for them. Um, big time contributors. Even before that, they had Jamie Robinson from South Carolina last year, uh, Jermaine Johnson from from the Dogs. Um, all guys that you know are playing on Sundays, doing their thing. So, but yeah, Florida State, man, that that's that, that's a good squad right there. I mean, Texas, Georgia, Florida State. Um, I'm having a tough time kind of separating those three in my in my mind right now. And that's no offense to the Big Ten crowd of, of Ohio State and Michigan. Um, I think that Ohio State has the potential to be there as well. Like you mentioned, I don't have them there yet in that kind of top tier just because I haven't seen it. Um, you know, 
haven't seen it from from them uh, offensively like I saw it with C.J. Stroud in the past. But, but yeah, Florida State, Texas, Georgia, I mean, uh, those are the three that I definitely see making the playoffs. Yeah, Florida State looks really strong against LSU, and but now you know it's a slog, and and I think the prob one problem is Florida State's schedule. LSU is a great team, but you know there's not many other marquee matchups left on their schedule, and so I would be somewhat afraid about the weakness of the rest of the you know of the rest of the conference. Yes. They've got Duke. Yes, they've got Wake Forest. Yes, they've got Miami. But those teams in the end might not be all that great. They might end up beating up on each other. You might have a bunch of six and six teams. And so it's really, you know, it's going to make it all that much more difficult for Florida State. That LSU win, I think, is going to pay dividends, though. And so even with a loss in conference, I think if they win the conference championship, they will have enough to get in, given the the parity that's going to go on, I think, around the rest of the sport. Kind of the two teams I wanted to highlight, Miami, Van Dyke looks like a real, real legitimate threat at quarterback. And they're a team that's, that's interesting because they start out um, now with uh, Bethune-Cookman, I think, and then they've got Temple, uh, and then they have Georgia Tech at home. So they're a team that can start 5-0, and I think, very easily possible before they get into really, you know, UNC and Clemson and back-to-back weeks. But that's a team that can start out really strong. I think Wake Forest, funny enough, you know, could go 4-0. They play ODU and Georgia Tech to start, you know, their next four games. Uh, UNC is a team to watch out. I know that they, you know, project to be in like the top four, maybe in that top tier. Uh, but this has been a tough, you know, a tough four game street stretch. Obviously, they had the big win against SC. They beat App State in overtime. Now they host Minnesota and then they go on the road to play Pitt. You know, if you believe that in UNC is taking that next step, they need to win those games. They need to get to 4 0. But, you know, the other team, Duke, could uh, could easily be 4-0 with a date at home against Notre Dame. They play Northwestern and then on the road at UConn. And then, it, it, you know, you even look further down, uh, Louisville with, uh, with games against Indiana and Boston College and Syracuse with games at Purdue and Army. I mean, you could be talking about the potential of having, you know, seven 4-0 teams in the ACC, which I do think will be fascinating, more due to the, you know, weakness of their schedules. But, um, yeah, you know, you might you might see some surprises, and especially with Clemson not being, you know, the team that, they, that they've been in the past. I don't think NC State's quite as good as, as they have been in the past. You know, we might see, hey, this is the year for, for Duke and Wake to kind of rise up and – you know, you might see one of those teams make it. Maybe it is Miami um, or, you know, maybe UNC comes back. Uh, you know, we'll see. Or or is it Dino Babers in Syracuse time to finally, you know, make it to Charlotte or, you know, even Louisville? Yeah, I, I just don't. I think there is a um, there are a lot of unknowns with some of these teams. Uh, and, you know, the ACC just doesn't quite have. Yes, they had the FSU, LSU and the Miami, Texas A&M, but. I don't think they've really played many high-level opponents other than that, other than in inner inner conference. And as we've said, we're not sold on Clemson. So I don't know. I look forward. I think the next two weeks, um, 
you know, I don't think that we're going to see seven undefeated teams in the in the ACC. I do predict predict that somewhere along the line, one of these teams loses a game that they should win. I just don't know where it's going to happen. Stay tuned. Now, Kyler, let's move on and let's talk uh, our betting six pack. This episode running a little long, so I'm just going to break down and tell these picks because we've talked about the teams a lot. Maryland minus 14 and a half versus UVA. More UVA than Maryland, I'd say, with this pick. Um, UVA is just, we believe, one of the worst teams in all of college football. It's tough to watch, but um, for that reason, feels like Maryland can cover just two touchdowns and, uh, and an extra point. So so we're going to do it. Colorado minus 23 against Colorado State. Uh, it's a night game. The first night game for Folsom Field this season, the first night game for Dion. I feel like the, you know, the crowd is going to be fired up. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. Uh, and we just think that that is uh, enough to put them over. And we've talked about it. Uh, the offense is great. And, Oh, the defense has playmakers, you know, maybe not enough to to make a whole team, but at least against some lesser opponents, you know, they can they can make some noise, I think. So um, Colorado minus 23, Duke 18 and a half minus given the points against Northwestern because it's Northwestern. They don't look good right now. And Duke, you know, Riley Leonard is a true gamer, true quarterback. Cincinnati we talked about how we think they're pretty good. 14. Uh, at home against Miami, Ohio, uh, we think we're going to beat Miami, Ohio by more than 14 points. We think Penn State's going to beat Illinois by more than 14 and a half points. Why? Because Illinois is not very good. I know it's on the road, but it just doesn't feel like Illinois has it this season. And it does feel like Penn State is is down to game, down to get to that next level. And then finally, Syracuse, minus two and a half. We're going to give the points at Purdue, uh, you know, it's just uh, Syracuse seems like they're a tough out and Purdue seems like they're trying to figure things out. And I think this game is going to come down to, you know, can Syracuse's offense produce? And I'm going to say yes. Uh, anything you want to add um, with these games? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I like the picks that we have this week. Um, you know, Duke minus 18 and a half, definitely a lock um, for me. Um, Colorado, I mean, that's the game that I really, really am excited about to see a night game there uh, at Folsom Field. Um, it's going to be absolutely electric. The, yeah, that will be the place to be probably uh, on Saturday night. But, but yeah, I lo- love, the, love the look of the games that we have here. I think we can make some people some jack. We'll have to see when three and three last week. We will keep you posted on how we do this week, although I do have to humble brag – I'm in a league where we pick, uh, you know, a ton of uh, a ton of games against the spread. I went 26 and 13, probably my best that I'll ever do uh, against the spread in college. You know, or maybe I'm a guru. Maybe I, you know, need to start a college football gambling podcast. No, I'm not going to let it go to my head. Um, all right, let's get into previewing this game with South Carolina. Gamecocks come in. Uh, you know, having kind of higher expectations, I believe, for the season, I think that they thought that they could go into Charlotte to open the year and get a win, and it wasn't to be. Uh, we we kind of talked about Spencer Rattler's struggles within the red zone, kind of struggles 
amongst South Carolina's team to kind of punch it in as well. North Carolina was able to make some some big plays through that game. Now, I think overall, um, South Carolina's defense did pretty good against the guy that's projected as, you know, a top 10 pick in the NFL next year. But uh, as well, I think that there is um, – yeah, there are a lot of weaknesses to go around for South Carolina. And from what we've seen so far, we haven't seen anything to say that they have turned a corner in a way that would challenge them in Sanford. But as well, you know, Georgia's untested too. And so I think this gives an opportunity, you know, for Georgia to finally face an opponent that can beat Georgia um, in the right circumstances. I, I know, you know, there's a shot for everybody, but no, South Carolina, I mean, this is a team that came in. They're the last team to beat us at Sanford Stadium. You know, there is always that that upset potential. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, what do you see? What are you looking forward to uh, on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I want to see the dogs uh, finally get off to a fast start. Um, I want to see us come out of the gates real hot. Um, I want to see this offensive line just absolutely mow people down. I want, you know, to, to see that that push. Um, we should be able to get it against this team in South Carolina. Um, I want to see those perimeter guys as well out there blocking their, their butts off. Um, I want to see, see Carson, um, you know, really let that arm loose. Um, you know, I know that he took one shot last week that got intercepted, but um, I feel like he's going to be more comfortable this week. Um, we're going to – you know, take the top off the defenses with the people like Arian Smith, maybe Dominic Lovett. Um, and, and also, you know, we, we missed Brock Bowers last week. Want to see him, uh, you know, get some more touches next week. It's SEC time. So it's time for, for us to buckle down. Enough of this G-Day, you know, vanilla, vanilla offense, right? And then, you know, the defensive line, just want to see guys step up, um, create havoc, um, you know, make Spencer Rattler's life uh, a living hell out there. Um, and that's, that's what I want to see out of the dogs on Saturday. Yeah, I want to see us pressure the quarterback. I really do. I, I would love to see, you know, plus four sacks, honestly, uh, on Saturday. That would – I think that's like kind of the watermark. That's what we should expect. Um, and if nothing else, I want to see Spencer Rattler being pressured into making bad decisions. Uh, he's a guy who I think if you don't get to him, if you allow him the time, he really can pick you apart. He really can. Um, you know, he's shown the ability to, to make the throws. Uh, and what happened last year and why we really were able to just run away with the game was I think a big part was just our defense um, kind of getting to Spencer Rattler. He made some terrible decisions early. Uh, our offense was good enough to capitalize on those decisions, and it's game over. Uh, I think we can have a similar output, uh, but it really does is dependent on us being able to pressure Rattler and get him into making bad decisions because he will. He will make them. Um, if you, if you force them to, uh, so yeah. And then I, as I said, I think it's Carson Beck and seeing, you know, does he take his next step? Do, are we kind of, is there, um, a buzz about Beck that really isn't there quite yet? I think that he's not making any of the bad, th like he's clearly a competent quarterback, but he doesn't have that, uh, that flash that Stetson Bennett had, you know, and we haven't quite seen that yet from him, but, I think that, you know, with the lights a little bit brighter, with things turned up a little bit hotter, you know, maybe we see a different uh, a different Carson Beck, a more evolved Carson Beck come Saturday. Um, what do you have the final score being? 
So, Matt, I've got us at, at 41 to 6. Um, I just don't see them being able to score touchdowns on us. I think that they move the ball on us. I think they get some guys in space and, and get some explosives, but I think the back end of our defense is fast enough to, to keep them in front of us. And then once they're kind of, you know, on our, on our side of the field, it's going to be tough um, for them to uh, punch the ball in. I mean, they're, they're running back. Um, don't even have a running back really. Uh, I mean, they've got Nakiri and Joiners, the starting running back who's, played wide receiver, quarterback, everything else except for running back at, at the University of South Carolina. I mean, in the end of the year last year, they were, they were playing a tight end at, at running back. So, um, you know, that's a little little concerning if I'm a South Carolina fan. But uh, and that, that's probably part of their problem with the, with their with their rushing attack right now. Um, I'm sure the offensive line is a big problem as well um, and getting yards on the ground. So um, I see it 41-6. I like it. Uh, I see it being a little different, Kyler. I do think they're able to get it over, you know, especially Javon Buller being out, I think hurts us. Uh, I don't see it ever being close, but I do think maybe it ends up being 38-16. And I think in part that's due to, I do think that we're going to have some struggles getting to Rattler. I'd like to see it, but I still have my doubts about our ability to rush the passer, especially at this part of the season. I think that, that part will still will still continue to evolve. And as a result, we're going to give Rattler some time to make some really incredible throws. Um, and I think it's similar to, you know, that game with JT Daniels um, starting just a few years ago where uh you know, he like we were always in command, but South Carolina made some incredible plays to to score a few touchdowns in that game and make their, you know, at least their scoreline a little bit more uh, respectable than maybe what the actual game on the field was. I tend to think, unfortunately, we're going to see a bit of that where maybe they're there's they're around because I don't think that this team is quite what last year or the year before his team was but that doesn't mean that we're not going to get there i i have every confidence but yeah 38 16 that's what i'm saying any final thoughts yeah um just uh, i've been hearing a lot of talk recently um about the sanford stadium hot dogs and, and you know a lot of people have differing opinions on them um i hope that none of this talk changes uh the policy of the concession stands on on the hot dogs because uh, some people don't like them. I, I think that is straight lunacy. Um, I've never heard a crazier comment in my life, but there is something special and uh, nostalgic about the hot dog experience in, in Sanford Stadium, along with the, the brown ice um, that they have down there. I don't know. I mean, I could probably go without the brown ice, but um, you know, these hot dogs, there's something special. They, they let them sit there and, and they steam, you know, with, you know, they pull them straight out of the water, throw them in the buns. They're steaming up the, you know, those beautiful buns and they get all soft. And it might be one of the best hot dogs in America, um, in my opinion. And so I, I always try to get at least two hot dogs every single game that I go to at Sanford Stadium. It, it's just uh, one of the best parts of going to Sanford Stadium for myself. So, um, you know, all, all the people who, who are, Poo-poo and the uh, the glizzies there in Sanford, um, and you cut it out. I can't I can't imagine going there and not being able to experience that that same glizzy um, year in and year out. 
You know, I don't think that I've experienced – I know I've had at least one hot dog at Sanford. I don't know that I've experienced quite to the level of just nostalgia that you have, but you have a lot more history with Sanford than I do. So, uh, you know, I'll chalk it up to that. But I, I feel like my my only few experiences are pretty good. I will say the ice, I believe they've contracted, and now they get Zaxby's ice. They get that, like, nice crushed ice. Um, and I think that was something that they brought out a couple of years ago, but, uh, as far as the hot dog goes, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, part of the whole experience, uh, of going to a live event and yeah, I mean, you're not going to get like some $13, you know, artisan hot dog that's like kielbasa and has this like weird sauce and whatever. And I think that may be part of the, the issue is we just have these critics, these food critics, these foodies that want some sort of you know, crazy experience because they've gotten it at like a Braves game or something. Nah, Sanford, you know, it's a throwback to what, uh, to what, you know, I guess live sporting events once was, which is, you know, you, you don't have all these different like crazy options in there. It's just, you got your hot dogs, you got your burgers, maybe your tendies and like, you know, your Coke and your Sprite and, and that's it. That's, that's what you got. Exactly. And, and, and you know, the beauty of the, of those, uh, Hot dogs don't even don't even need you know ketchup or mustard on them. I mean, every once in a while I'll, I'll throw some on there, but I mean those things are even good just plain. Um, and you know I just want want fans to to, to respect the dog um, in the doghouse of, of Sanford Stadium. So um, yeah, I don't I don't want to see you know an artisan you know foodie hot dog. You know you you can go downtown Athens if you want your foodie scene. And Sanford Stadium that is. That is not a scene for, for the foodie. And, um, you know, I think that we should keep it that way. Love it. Uh, I, uh, I'm i here with you, Tyler. We, we're in agreement on that entirely. Keep Samford. Uh, uh, I can't come up with a good catchphrase, but maybe I'll, I'll workshop it. But I will say respect the dogs and the dog. You know, that that's a bit. That's the best one I can come up with for now. Well, all right. For Kyler Carr, I'm Matt Kerr. This is the Dogs on Top, Even on Bottom podcast. Check us out on Instagram, the underscore D-O-T-E-O-B. Get us anywhere that podcasts exist. And yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side. We'll catch you after this South Carolina victory. It's, it's going to be great. Uh, and as we always finish this show, go dogs. Go dogs.